leaders. Last week, I asked that you do a specific task. I asked that you read chapters 4 and 5 of Judges. Now is your opportunity to be honest. How many of you read chapters 4 and 5? All right. You don't have to give a tithe this week. Everybody else, you're doubling down. <laughs> Would you please open up to Judges chapter 4? Judges chapter 4. And one in your physical Bible or in your Bible app. Would you please stand for the reading of God's holy word? Judges chapter 4. Before we read, let's come before God for blessing on his word. Lord, we know that you are the one who speaks to us through your word. These are not just print on pages, but these are words of life. So you are the one who speaks to us in a life-changing way through your word, by your spirit. And it is for this this morning that we long for as we turn to the pages of Judges chapter 1 now. So Lord, open our ears to hear you speak to us this morning. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The word of Christ speaks to us like this. The people of Israel again did what is evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, the king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The leader of his army was Sisera, who lived in Herosheth Hagoyim. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. For he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapideth, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, Go, gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun? And I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand? And Barak said to her, If you will go with me, I will go. But if you do not go, will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera in the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kedesh. And Barak called out to Zebulun and Naphtali to, to Kedesh. And 10,000 went up at his heels, and Deborah went up with him. Now Heber, the Kenite, was separated from the Kenites, the descendants of 
Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent as far away as the oak of Zananim, which is near Kedesh. When Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Benoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out to his chariots, 900 men and all the men who were with him, from Harosheth Hagoyim to the river Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, Up! For this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots, and the army of Harasheth Hagoyim, and all the army of Sisera, fell by the edge of man was left. But Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin, and the king of Hazor, and the house of Heber, the Kenite. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord. Turn aside to me. Do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug. He said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. And she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink, covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the opening of the tent, and if any man comes and asks you, Is anyone here? Say no. But Jael, the wife of Heber, Heber, took a tent peg. I love this. Took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. Then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. So he died. I love the facts of scripture. And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said to him, Come, I will show you the man whom you are seeking. So he went into her tent, and there lay Sisera dead, with a tent peg in his temple. So on that day, God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan before the people of Israel and the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seen. Last week marked the 163rd anniversary of a long our prayer meeting that started in a small church in New York City. When this prayer meeting started, the, the nation was in turmoil. It was a total mess. Three 30,000 men were idle on the streets of New York City. Drunkenness was rampant, and the nation was divided because of slavery. It was a mess. But a small church on the corner of Fulton and Williams uh, relocate, and they left a man behind to start a mission there. His name was Jeremiah Lamford. 
And he walked the streets and began to notice the worried look of the businessmen that were in the area. He noticed the drunkenness in the streets. He noticed just idle people standing around. And he decided, what is he going to do? The only thing he knew to do was to call a prayer meeting. So on September 23, 1857, the lunch hour prayer meeting started. Six people showed up a half an hour late. That's typical for prayer meetings, just so you know. Not a very promising start. For me, I'd say, all right, it was a good start. It was a good try. The group decided, however, to meet the next week. Fourteen people showed up. It was increasing. The week after, there were 23. Slow growth. The following week, there were 40. Within three months, there were over 100 prayer meetings in the city with more than 50,000 New Yorkers pausing to pray daily. 50,000. And God moved powerfully, so powerfully that the prayer meeting spread across the nation. It did not stay in New York City. Within 18 months, it was estimated that 1 million people were converted out of that prayer meeting. And there were 35 million people in the nation at that time. 1 million people were converted, including 10,000 weekly conversions in New York City alone. 10,000. The effects of this prayer meeting are still felt to this day. And one researcher by the name of Ed Stetzer said this, when we look back, we really see that this was not a great movement of great men or great women. This was a movement of laymen who was left behind by a relocating church. Simple man. And there seems to be times where God takes an, just an ordinary man, an ordinary woman, often unexpectedly, and God initiates something far greater beyond their average ordinary gifts and talents. God initiates something. And in many of these cases, the impact is still felt today. So we're going to look at a case study this morning, if you will, a biblical case study of how God uses people today. And we're going to see three things as we meditate on it. One, people, he initiates things. Secondly, when he initiates, he initiates often with unexpected people. Unexpected people. And then thirdly, he uses them far beyond their abilities so that ultimately they get no glory, but ultimately it is God who gets the glory. So first, we are going to see that God is the primary initiator. When we look at today's passage, things in Israel were not going well. If you look at it again, you get that, that reoccurring phrase, right? The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Again, it's like this. Are you serious? This is happening again? And so what happened? God sold him into the hand of Jabin, the king of Canaan. And not only was he bad, he was really bad. He oppressed the people of Israel cruelly. 
cruelly for 20 years. He was a wicked, terrible king. And so you have that. They did it again. And they were under oppression. Things were bad. We know that God had promised Israel this land. But now because of their disobedience, their disobedience, what did God do? He sold them into the hand of a, a foreign pagan king. The hands of their enemy. And what is worse, this guy had 900 chariots of iron. He had the best technology out there. And this is serious business. But in the middle, we see God doing. We see God initiating activity. He doesn't give up on his people. And that should be good news to you and me. God never gives up on his people. We may give up on God, but God is constantly pursuing and chasing after his people. And he doesn't give up on his people because what does he do? He gives them a prophet and her name is Deborah. And here we see God is initiating with two people. You see in verses 4 and 7, Now Deborah, the prophet, a prophet, a wife of leading Israel at the time, she held court on the palm of Deborah between these two cities, and Israel would go up to her, and she would make rulings about their disputes. And she sent for Barak, the son of Abinoam, and said, Listen, has not God told you to do something? Has not God said, go up, collect the, the people of Naphtali, and, uh, where was Naphtali and Zebulun? Listen, God wants to give Jabin into your hand. Now, why are you not going up? So God is initial people, one who knows it and one who doesn't know it. But in both cases, it is ultimately God who is initiating. First, we got Barak, who is a warrior. And through Deborah, God tells him to take 10,000 men and go to war against Sisera. And his 900 top-notch, top-technology, war-fighting chariots. How would you feel if you got that assignment? You are going against the best fighters with the best equipment out there. It reminds me of an ad that came out from a man named Ernest Shackleton. Anybody know that name? Ernest Shackleton uh, was looking for a crew of people to go on a trek to the South Pole. And this is what his ad actually said. Men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe, a safe return, doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success. <laughs> Who would sign up for that? that? That is like an ad for disaster. But the reality is, Ernest Shackleton had thousands of people sign up for that desiring for this. So when God wants to move, he often taps someone on the shoulder and initiates his, his action through them. And when God wants to do something, he always seems to want to use his people. God is God, and he can do whatever he wants to do, however he with whatever tools are out there. And if he doesn't want to, he doesn't have to. 
But if he wanted to do, God could have defeated Sisera himself. Lightning bolts, hail, you name it. God could have done another kind of Red Sea kind of episode of mountains falling down. He did not need Barak's help. He could, God could have started the Fulton revival any way that he liked, but God initiates things and he chooses to use people. And in this case, in Fulton Street revival, it was Jeremiah Lanford. God may be, my friends, God may be initiating something with some of you to do his work right now. Who knows? But you'll notice, though, that Barak was a little hesitant, wasn't he? Look at what he said. He said, he said to Deborah, listen, if you go with me, I'll go. But if you do not go, there is no way I am going to go. So he, he appears a little hesitant. But my friends, at times, so are we, aren't we? We are often Barak. Listen, I, I'm willing to go out and do this event, but I'm not going to go unless somebody goes with me. Some of us have probably even sensed God initiating his work through us, but we back off. We're hesitant. We're fearful. And maybe we're afraid or we're, we're unsure. But Deborah responded to Barak's hesitancy. Certainly I'll go with you. Absolutely. But because of the, the honor is not going to be yours. In fact, the honor is going to go to a woman. And the result of Barak's hesitancy, he's going to go into battle. And he will be victorious. But he will not get any of the glory. God still initiated with Barak, but Barak missed out on all that he could have experienced because he was held back. He held back when God initiated something. And I know there's been times when God has initiated something in my life and probably in your life, and we've held back for whatever reason. Man, I don't think that I have the financial resources. I don't have the time. I don't have the gifts. I, man, that just doesn't seem like my thing. But if you, if you read later on in the chapter, you'll find, in chapter 5, you will find that entire tribes, entire tribes held back, and they missed out on what God was doing. Oh, and if, if you still have your Bibles open, it, turn to, I don't have verses in mind, but um, my reading Bible, but... There is actually a curse that happens. Curse Meroz, says the angel of the Lord. Curse its inhabitants thoroughly. Why? Because they did not come to the help of the Lord. To the help of the Lord against the mighty. Their holding back actually brought condemnation. Those are hard words. So my friends, if God is initiating and would like to use you, how should you respond? How will you respond will determine how much you will experience of what God would like to do through you. So if God initiates and we know 
We know it. That's a gift. But sometimes he initiates and we have no clue that he is doing something. And we, we just happen to be in the right place at the right time. And we aren't even aware of how God is using us. And he just does it. And we happen to be there. And that is the story of Heber and J.L., who are Kenites. They, they were in the middle of a, of a move from one part of the country to another part of the country. And it, it seems like kind of an odd little placement right there. It's like we're telling the story of, man, you are to go out and defeat Sisera. And then we get this little caveat of this man and his wife are moving across the country. And then it's right back into the action. You go, what in the world? But as we talked last week, God does not put words of Scripture in there without a reason. There's a purpose in there. And what's happening is that God is positioning Heber and his wife just where they need to be, and they have no clue why. They're just moving. And some of you may have experienced God is sovereignly working things together so that Heber and his wife making these choices, and in this case, even a switch in allegiances that will ultimately lead them right where he wants them to be. And my friends, where you might be, our family lives at 8236 West Layerway. That is where we're supposed to be. It's not in the middle of a neighborhood. It's one of the things that we, we grieve, we want to be in relationship and have neighbors, but you know what? God has placed us there for a reason. And the same with you. Whatever your zip code or your address is, there's a reason why God has moved you to that place. And we need to remember that every time that God does his work, he is initiating something. He is starting something. Something. Could it be that God is initiating something in your life this morning or on your way here to worship? Or maybe this happened. He may be up to something in your life. Maybe you know he's been initiating, but maybe you feel a little bit like Barak. That might be some code words in your conversation. Are you pulling a Barak? What, do- what are you doing here, man? What are you doing, honey? Are you pulling a Barak? You- why-, why are you so hesitant here? Because maybe God is positioning you to do something. Maybe putting you in the right place at the right time, even without your knowing it. So when God uses people, he initiates it. And how we respond will determine how much we experience what he wants to do through us. But as we look at this passage, we also see another thing. That God initiates with unexpected people. When when God initiated with Barak, we learn that Barak had 10,000 soldiers. That's a lot. So who do you expect God to use to defeat Sisera? 10,000 soldiers, right? It makes logic. But that would be the obvious choice. God doesn't always work in the obvious choices. To a certain extent, God does use Barak and those soldiers 
Look at verses uh, 14 through 16. Then Deborah said to Barak, go. This is the day the Lord has given. The Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone before? So it's like God is laying out the, the, the groundwork for him to accomplish something. So Barak went down to Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed, the Lord routed Sisera and all his armies and, and uh, chariots and armies by the sword. Sisera got down from his, his chariot and he headed for the hills. So God does use Barak, but he, he's not really the person who wins the glory in this victory because Sisera, the general, is still free. God uses him, but not as... So do you remember what Deborah had said earlier on? Because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours. For the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. Now... Knowing that 50% of our population here is probably women. Don't get prickly yet. What do you expect that, who do you expect that woman to be? Man, if you're just reading it, you're going, man, it's probably Deborah, right? She's going to be along with, with, with him and kind of win this battle. It's like, all right, if you're not going to do it, I'm going to do it. But that's not even how it works. She, she is a prophet, and she is giving good words to him and speaking on behalf of God. And I, sometimes, as I'm reading through this, sometimes I think we preachers sometimes give the impression that God does his absolute best work through preachers. It's a pride issue, I know. Sometimes we act as if we are where the action is and the rest of you folks have just really missed out of God's hands and his activity. But nothing could be further from the truth. God didn't win the victory through a warrior or a prophetess. When God defeated Sisera, he did what he often does. He used an unexpected person. Just like when God initiated the Fulton Street Revival using a, a businessman. It's amazing how many times he has moved, not through clergy through, or, or the people that we would expect, but with unexpected, ordinary people. And that should give you hope. Ordinary people. And in verses 17 through 21, we read that as Sister kind of is fleeing, he comes to Heber's tent. And remember, Heber is a transplant. He had just moved into the neighborhood. We don't know why, but he has changed allegiance. And, but knowing, Sisera, knowing that uh, the Kenites and his king, King Jabin, were, had friendly allegiances, Sisera thought he was home free. Ah, I found a Kenite a loyalist in the middle of Israelite country. I found somebody where I'm going to be safe. So what does he do? Hey, JL sees him coming and she invites him to come in, right? And so she invites him in. He asks for water and what does he give? Milk and Oreos, right? <laughs> welcome home. The welcome mat is out, my friend. 
She promises him safely, safety, and he goes to sleep underneath a rug. And while he is sleeping, I love verse 21. This woman, you don't want to meet in a, in a dark alley, apparently, because she drove the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. Just kind of matter of fact. And in those days, just so you know, setting up and taking down a tent was not a man's job. Setting up and taking down a tent was a, a woman's job. It was a household responsibility. So here, what do we have? We have a stay-at-home wife who takes a common household tool, and what does she do? She wins the victory. A common, everyday person using everyday tools and wins the victory. And being killed by a woman, especially in the time of a battle, was considered an insult. But you know what? That did not matter to God. It's not the preacher who wins. It's not the warrior stay-at-home wife that God chooses to use. So stay-at-home wives, moms. God chooses to use you. And that should be good news. God uses people. And he doesn't always use the people that we think should be used. Or our culture says, oh, it's got to be that person. So after this incident, Deborah wrote a song. Chapter, chapter 5. She wrote a song that's recorded, and it is more poetic and a, a theological account of what took place in that battle. And my friends, notes after notes, and the way that it all flows is this beautiful picture. And you see verse 1, this, when the princes of Israel take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, Praise the Lord. So God is initiating it. He initiates not with the people that we would expect, but with ordinary, unexpected people. And when he does, God gets the glory. Praise the Lord. And one last thing we discover about when God uses people as we meditate on this text, that when God uses people, he initiates and the people he uses are unexpected. We see that time and time again. But one more thing that we discover is that this last thing, that God uses beyond, far beyond their abilities. These couple of chapters are unique because we get two versions of the same events. You got the narrative storytelling, and then you got the poetic, theological storytelling of what's going on. And in both, we see that God uses people far beyond what they are able to accomplish by themselves. In chapter 4, we see that J.L. Does, does look ordinary in a sense, a regular stay-at-home wife. But she knew how to tent peg. She was gifted in driving tent pegs home. And it, it was gruesome, but it really wasn't hard to use a tent peg to kill someone. It was easy. But she could never have orchestrated these events to make this happen on her own. 
God put her in the right place at the right time, and he gave her an opportunity that she could not have engineered herself. God put her there. But we, we see how God uses people beyond their abilities even more clearly as we look at the two accounts of the battle. In chapter, chapter 4, verses 14 and 15, so Barak went down Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following after him. There's a mad rush down the mountainside. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot. And what did he do? He headed out. He fled on foot. And notice that Barak and the 10,000 people moved, but it was God who ultimately routed Sisera. But look at the details that Deborah's account gives in chapter 5, if you have your Bibles open. Looking at verses 20 and 21. I love this. From the heavens, from the heavens, the stars fought. <laughs> from their courses, they fought against Sisera. The river Kishon swept them away. The age-old river, the river Kishon. March on, my soul. Be strong. Do you realize what is happening here? Sisera and his army were trapped. God himself fought them from heaven with the storm and caused a flash flood, and he washed away the army. God ultimately orchestrated these events. Picture Barak charging down the mountainside with 10,000 men as the heavens poured down against the enemies and ultimately washed them away before their very eyes. That, in my estimation, would have made me go, whoa, God. Look at what... We have 10,000 strong men rushing down to attack. And what do you do? You cause a flash flood to start and wipe the men all out. God himself went into battle that day. And God himself won a decisive victory. That was won even before Barak himself had started. That's why Deborah's to him earlier on in chapter 4, 4 14 he said has not God gone ahead of you it's God who even is orchestrating events even before you even step foot on the battlefield Donald Gray Barnhouse who was the pastor at 10th Presbyterian Church said this and maybe you want to write this down it is our business to see that we do right. It is our business to see that we do right. But he goes on to say this. God will see that we come out right. It is our business to see that we do what is right. My friends, I, that is true in every case. 
We are to be faithful to the word of God. We are to be faithful citizens in this world. We are to sojourn, and as we sojourn through this world, through our political climates and everything else, we are to see that we are to do what is right. But ultimately, at the end of the day, God will see that we come out right. So no, no matter what happens in this strange political uh, pandemic kind of season that we're in, all we are called to do is to do what is right. But ultimately, we have to rest in the fact that God will see that we come out right. We allow ourselves to be used by God. God is still ultimately in charge of the results. You are not in charge of the results. He... Ephesians chapter 3 says he is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to the power that is at work within, within us. God is able to do even more than we can even guess, plan, imagine. Your, your biggest daydreams pale in comparison to what God is actually able to do. Do you understand that? If anything, that should empower us to live faithfully because we have no clue that God might take a simple woman from a tent with a tent peg and do something absolutely amazing by defeating the enemy. God may take your simple, faithful activity and do something far beyond what you can imagine or even what you could ask for. That is the kind of God that we serve. Friends, the, the Fulton Street Revival and the victory over Sisera are both examples of how God saves his people and how he uses people by initiating with unexpected, ordinary people and using them far beyond all their gifts, their talents, beyond what they themselves can do. And the beauty of this all is that God gives his grace to undeserving people by saving them when they do not even deserve it. My friends, it is Christ who gave his life so that we could live faithfully day by day by his grace, not because we are worthy of it, but because he calls us to participate. And then God, by his spirit, uses us. I'm not sure you really believe it. But God, by his spirit, chooses to use you. Wherever he plants you, God is going to use you in your workplace, in your home, in your neighborhood. He is going to use you, not because you have the power within you to do it, but because God is actually initiating with unexpected people. And God does more through people like you and me than we could ever think or ever imagine. This is a God who uses a, a simple woman And God can use people like Lissy, like Kevin, Hannah, and Bethany. 
little guys will. We have no idea how God might choose to move. All we're called to do is to be faithful and available and allow God to work. Friends, let's pray.